Hi guys, this is the last recording of Solomon Snow and the Silver Spoon. Uh, there's four chapters, but it's not super long. So take a listen and I hope you enjoy. Bye! Chapter 24. Ma'am, you are a saint. In which we rejoin our heroes back at the orphanage, Mrs. Spindletrap successfully pulls the wool over Lord Tweezel's eyes, and the prodigy seizes her chance. How much longer are we going to stay here? Complained the prodigy the next morning. Cause I's fed up with being an orphan. I want to go and buy sweeties. Solly, Prudence, and the prodigy were clustered at the end of a long chilly passageway. Each was holding a broom. Big Rosie had put them on sweeping detail. This apparently was an unpopular chore, and as such fell to the newest orphans. The brooms were old and almost bald. It was back-breaking work. Mind you, as Plute pointed out, it wasn't as bad as door duty. At least they could stay together, and the constant moving around kept them relatively warm. Plus, it meant that they could take turns spying on Mrs. Spindletrap's closed door without drawing undue attention. Stop whining, Rosabella, said Prudence. You know we can't leave without Solly's spoon. We agreed. But I don't like it here. I starve in. All we do is work and nobody talks. I think they hates us. This was true. Life at Thrift House seemed to consist of nothing but an endless round of dreary chores broken only by breakfast, pottage, supper, pottage again with a small crust of bread, and bed. Nobody talked much. They don't hate us, explained Solly. They're just too wrapped up in their own misery to care. Well, I's wants to leave, sulked the prodigy. I don't like pottage. It's green. And I don't want to sleep in that old bed again with all them orphans whose I don't know. I want to sleep with Mr. Skippy. When can we go by sweeties? You are such a moaner, snapped Prudence. We're all having a hard time of it, not just you. The prodigy was right, though. The sleeping arrangements left a lot to be desired. There were two icy dormitories situated at the very top of the house, one for the boys and one for the girls. Each contained two hard double beds for the smaller orphans and two single ones for the head monitors. Newcomers had to sleep on the outside edges of the larger bed and spend all night clinging on and fighting for a sliver of sheet while their bedfellows snored and thrashed around and shouted out in their sleep. All of them had had a terrible night, apart from Mr. Skippy, who had bedded down in the coal hole with Mr. Plute. The prodigy was unhappy with the arrangement, but had given in under pressure. Keeping him hidden while sleeping in a bed with seven others would have proved impossible. Just then, Freddy came hurrying along from the direction of Mrs. Spindletrap's parlor, trailing a broom behind him. Any movement? asked Solly hopefully. No, said Freddy. Big Rosie came and took her breakfast tray. That, that's all. She must come out eventually, though, mustn't she? said Prudence. She can't stay cooped up forever. She'll take a walk or go visiting or shopping or orphan collecting, something. I wish you wouldn't talk like that, said Solly. Prudence could be really hard-hearted at times. As usual, she ignored him. Then can we slip in, get the spoon, and leave this beastly place forever? Just a small point, said Solly. Uh, what if she locks up behind her? <gasps> Cripes! Prudence looked stunned. You're right! She won't take any chances with a cupboard full of silver. Oh, bother! I never thought of that. It seemed so easy when I said it. Maybe there's a spare key, like there was at the pawnbroker's, suggested Solly. Plute might know. Somebody else better take my place spying, said Freddy. Big Rosie saw me 
hanging round and told me to clear off. I'll go, answered the prodigy, adding, and I wasn't a moaning, Minnie. She trailed off with her broom, looking crestfallen. Plute stood yawning at his station by the front door. It was the coldest place in the house, and he was bored out of his mind. His limbs were stiff from sleeping in the coal hole. Waking up with a rabbit sitting on his head hadn't helped. He was almost nodding off where he stood when a harsh jangling brought him to with a start. Hastily, he pulled back the grating shutter and peered out, hoping that it wasn't another bunch of weird kids wanting to befriend him and rope him into their dangerous games. A haughty-looking gentleman with interesting side whiskers was staring back at him through a monocle. He wore an expensive overcoat and a top hat. Open the door, instructed the gentleman. Who shall I say is Colin? asked Plute. Lord Humphrey Tweezel, I wish to see Mrs. Spindletrap. Have you got an appointment? I do not require an appointment. I'm from the Bard of Good Works. Open the door. Wait there, said Plute. I'll ask. The prodigy was skulking in the passageway outside Mrs. Spindletrap's firmly closed door when she'd heard the front doorbell ring. After a few moments, there came the sound of fast approaching footsteps. The prodigy seized her broom and ducked around a corner. She heard Plute's panting breath, followed by an urgent knock. She heard the parlor door open, then close again. From behind it came the sound of muffled voices. The door opened again. Two sets of footsteps receded into the distance. The prodigy risked a look down the long passage. Empty. The parlor door stood ajar. Perfect. Lord Tweezel, cried Mrs. Spindletrap, throwing open the front door and dropping a low curtsy. What an honor to meet you, sir. I was hoping you might find time in your busy schedule to come visit our what an honor to meet you, sir. I was hoping you might find time in your busy schedule to visit our humble establishment. Ma'am, said Lord Tweezel stiffly, raising his hat and giving a slight bow. Take his lordship's hat, Plute dear. Whatever were you thinking of leaving him to stand out in the snow, you silly little sausage? Mrs. Spindletrap sighed and gave Plute a kindly pat on the head. Forgive him, sir. He so wanted the chance to stand at the door and welcome all the fine ladies and gentlemen that come a-calling. So excited, he couldn't even eat the fine ham and farm fresh eggs provided for breakfast, and I was too soft-hearted to say no. Ham and eggs? inquired Lord Tweezel with a little frown. Is that usual, ma'am? Oh, yes, your lordship, nothing but the best for my charges. I wouldn't have it otherwise, sir. Ham and eggs for breakfast and roast chicken for supper. And it's all thanks to the board of good works and their generosity. Quite, said Lord Tweezel. Now then, ma'am, I won't beat around the bush. I am here on business. The board appears to have been throwing a great deal of money your way, ma'am. I've been studying the account books, and quite frankly... Not another word, sir, interrupted Mrs. Spindletrap. I won't hear it. Eh? exclaimed Lord Tweezel, taken aback. You shall not utter one more word until you've comfortably seated in my parlor with a glass of sherry. It's the least I can offer. The parish must be delirious with joy. A fine gentleman like yourself, taking interest in the town's affairs, delirious with joy. Well, I wouldn't go quite that far. Oh, don't be coy, your leadership. You know it's true. You have quite a reputation, sir. It would be foolish to indeed to try to pull the wool over your eyes. Well, I... Oh, you're so educated, so well-traveled. 
Well, I suppose I am, rather. The Congo, I hear, so brave, so intrepid. What tales you must have to tell. Come in, sir, come in and welcome. My, what a fine overcoat. You have an eye for a good weave, if you'll forgive my being so bold. Uh, what it is to be a gentleman of style and breeding. This way, your lordship. Round one to Mrs. Spindletrap. She really did play her cards well. A short time later, Lord Tweezel sat drinking a third glass of sherry in Mrs. Spindletrap's parlor. He found he was enjoying himself. The sherry was good, and Mrs. Spindletrap was an excellent listener. Indeed, she hung on his every word. It was becoming clearer by the minute that he had been wrong about her cheating the board. The woman was charming and clearly devoted to her charges. "'A little more, your lordship?' asked Mrs. Spindletrap as he came to the end of an amusing story about crocodiles. "'Thank you,' his lordship nodded. "'Very fine sherry, ma'am.' "'I'm glad you think so, sir,' said Mrs. Spindletrap, sloshing it in. "'I drink very little myself. "'Every penny I receive goes into the mouths of my family.' That's how I think of my orphans, sir. One big, happy family. Very commendable, said Lord Tweezel. Er, where do, where are they? Where are the orphans? Happily going about their quiet business, sir. In the mornings, they do a little light housework just to keep themselves busy. They love helping around the place. A busy child is a joyful child. Oh, indeed, agreed Lord Tweezel, who knew nothing about children. Later I shall take them to the park and let them play happily in the snow to work up their appetites for tea, muffins and jam with plenty of good fresh milk. Oh, if you could only see their grateful little faces. Poor, motherless little lambs. Ma'am, said Lord Tweezel, suppressing a hiccup. You are a saint. He took a large silver watch from his waistcoat pocket and examined it rather woozily. He had been here longer than he had intended. I do my best, sir, said Mrs. Spindletrap demurely. More sherry? Well, er, it will keep the cold out. Uh, perhaps I should check on the orphans. Please, it's not often I entertain a gentleman from the board. Just one to please me. Well, perhaps one more for the road. Lord Tweezel held out his glass. Mrs. Spindletrap poured. Lord Tweezel drank. A fine watch, your lordship, remarked Mrs. Spindletrap. Solid silver, if I'm not mistaken. It is, ma'am, agreed his lordship. Beautiful, truly exquisite. Fond of silver, are you, Mrs. Spindletrap? I am, your lordship. If I were a... Chapter 25. Wee's Twapped in which the prodigy proves useful and our heroes leave the orphanage only to find themselves in another pickle. Solly, Prudence, and Freddie were wearily at work brushing down the main staircase when the prodigy came flying up waving her parasol, her face flushed with triumph. Solly, she gasped. I gotted it. I gotted your spoon. What? Solly's heart missed a beat, and he dropped the broom he was holding. Really? How? Where? The prodigy fumbled in her knicker leg. Here, she said proudly, holding out her hand. Solly looked. There it was, at long last, his silver spoon, the one he'd been dreaming about for so long. Doesn't you want it? said the prodigy. Slowly, Solly reached out and took it. It was heavier than he had expected. He turned it over in his hand, small, 
beautifully formed with a pear-shaped bowl and a tapering stem de decorated with an ornate leaf pattern. That's it all right, said Prudence, peering over his shoulder. C-V-I-P. That's you. She pointed to the end of the spoon, which had been flattened to make room for the three all-important letters. Larrykins, Miss Rosabella, gasped Freddie. You're a little wonder, aren't you? Yes, agreed the prodigy. I am. It was easy. She went it out and I went it in. And I got the key from the box, like Plute said. And I opened the cabinet and it was full of old silver stuff. And Solly's spoon was just white in the front. And I knowed it was his because I saw the letters. And I took it and I locked the cabinet up and I put it the key back in. And I came back with a man and I hid it behind the curtain. And the man and her did a lot of talking. And they said about the spoon. And I listened to what they was saying. And now I know who her parents are. Solly stared at her open-mouthed. It was all too much to take in. We'll go on then, said Prudence. Don't keep us in suspense. Who are they? Lord and Lady Parquet Flowen. That's what the man said. Lord and Lady Parquet Flowen. And they live at Hightower's Manor. Did I do good? Can we go and buy sweeties now? Down in the cold hall, Plute was still on door duty. The important visitor had finally departed. Mrs. Spindletrap had waved him down the path, shut the door, and let out a sigh of relief. She then cuffed Plute's head and sailed back to her parlor, looking highly pleased with herself. He looked around at the sound of hurrying footsteps. His new friends were approaching across the hall, all four of them looked flushed and excited. We're leaving, announced Prudence. We've got Solly's spoon. Where's Mr. Skippy? asked the prodigy anxiously. I need him back now. He's down in the coal hole, said Plute, but I ain't supposed to leave the door. We'll watch it for you, promised Solly. If anyone asks, we'll say you've gone to the privy or something. But if Miss Spindletrap... Plute, snapped Prudence. Are you an orphan or a mouse? Go and get that rabbit now. Plute was used to obeying instructions. He hurried off to get the rabbit. Freddy slid the shutter over the grating to one side and peered out. Coast's clear, he whispered. I'll draw the bolts so we don't waste time. Getting the door open was a noisy business. Bolts squealed, chains rattled, Somebody would hear, surely, if they got caught now, just as the end was in sight. Nervously, Solly fingered his precious spoon, which he had carefully wrapped in his napkin and stuffed deep into his pocket. Suppose Mrs. Spindletrap had discovered it missing. She might be along any second, demanding that they turn out their pockets. Then what? Would she summon the police? Or, or lock them up in some forgotten attic room and leave them to rot? Come on, Plute, he muttered through clenched teeth. What's he doing? Come on! His heart pounded at the sound of footsteps, but thankfully it was only Plute with Mr. Skippy in his arms. Hooray! squealed the prodigy, and she ran to collect her beloved, who showed no sign of recognition. Come on! said Freddy, sw Freddy, swinging open the door, which creaked on its hinges. We'd best be off while the goin's good. Bye, then, said Plute. Solly stopped. He held out his hand. Plute reached out, and they solemnly shook. Goodbye, Plute, said Solly. Thanks for everything. You were a big help. Oh, that's all right, said Plute gruffly. It, it was sort of fun. I'll miss the rabbit. You can come with us, you know, if you'd like, offered Solly. From behind him, he heard an exasperated sigh. Prudence was rolling her eyes to heaven. He knew without even looking. 
but he had to ask. It was only fair. No, said Plute. I darenst. You better go. So they went. Plute's pinched face watched them rather sadly through the grill. Outside, the sun shone. Sparkling snow still lay in patches on the pavement. It was cold, but wonderful. Wonderful to be free again, away from that dark house and into the clean air. Now what? said Freddy. Well, we go to Hightower's Manor, I suppose, said Solly, adding, of course it would help if we knew where it was. I think we should head back to the center of town, said Prudence. We'll make inquiries. One of the wagoners might know. Come on. On the main street, it was business as usual. The snow of the day before was finally melting. Everywhere was awash with dirty brown slush, but it didn't seem to put people off. The shops were open, and a steady stream of customers bustled in and out. The beggars were begging, the peddlers were peddling, the carts and carriages were trundling, and somewhere someone with an accordion was playing a tuneless dirge. The crossing boys were still hard at work spreading salt and grit. It feels weird to be outdoors again, doesn't it? said Prudence. After days of being cooped up? But Solly wasn't listening. He had stopped in his tracks and was silently pointing at a lamp post on which was displayed a poster. A poster of the prodigy, dressed all in blue, posing all pointy-toed and prettily dimpled, her most nauseating smile fixed firmly in place. The writing said, Missing since Tuesday, answers to the name of little Rosabella, approach with caution, five pounds reward for information. <gasps> it's you, hissed Prudence, turning accusingly on the prodigy. I know, said the prodigy, looking rather smug. A big picture of you, offering a reward. I know. Larrykins, gasped Freddy. She's famous. I know. Then just at that moment. Oh, no, moaned Solly. I don't believe this. He was staring farther down the street, his face a mask of horror. What? The boys. They're heading our way. Indeed, they were. They were heading straight toward them, peering down side streets and checking doorways. And then, as if things weren't bad enough, roar! There came a terrible roar from behind them. It sounded like an enraged bull. Freddy gave the, a high-pitched squeal. A huge man stood in the street. He wore a battered stovepipe hat and filthy clothes. His eyes bulged, his fists clenched, his entire sooty being quivered with uncontrollable rage. He was like a kettle about to boil over. Larrykins, gasped Freddy, going white beneath his soot. It's, it's Jonah Scurvy. We's twapped, wailed the prodigy. What are we gonna do? Their desperate eyes scoured the street. A covered wagon was passing by, the horse straining and struggling for purchase in the slush. It was their only chance. The wagoner was relieved to be heading out of town again. He was a countryman and couldn't believe the fuss they made about a bit of snow. All this griping nonsense got on his nerves. Where he lived, folks were hardy. They just shrugged and got on with things. Flood? Get a bucket. Blizzard? Get a shovel. Chop your toe off? Get a bandage. The horse's hooves and the squeal of the wheels rolling through the slush made a terrible racket. He didn't hear the sound of running footsteps as four desperate, slithering figures came racing up behind and threw themselves over the tailboard into the back. Neither did he hear distant shouts and angry roaring as their pursuing hunters lost all hope of catching their prey. He simply shook the reins and the horse pulled harder. 
Soon the shops and houses were behind them, and they were heading for deep countryside. White hedgerows, white woods, quiet white hills. Here and there the snow was melting, but mostly it remained intact. It plopped softly from branches as the wagon jolted along, its heavy wheels leaving deep grooves in the pristine lanes. Sometime later, the wagoner pulled on the reins and the sweating horse puffed to a grateful stop. The wagoner pulled out a pipe. The horse kicked some snow away and bent its head to nibble the grass beneath. All was peaceful and silent. Even the birds were still. So the wagoner nearly set fire to himself with shock when he heard the singing. Eyes a little angel flying through the night, it went. What the tarnation? gasped the wagoner, beating the flames out in his lap. With a little halo, such a pretty sight. And a small dirty girl suddenly appeared beside him, looking up with a pair of divinely blue eyes and said, Hello, Mr. Wagon Man, eyes little Rosabella, and eyes lost. Please, oh please, will you take me to Hightower's Manor? Chapter 26. Our Boy. A truly dramatic chapter in which Solly meets with the perfect parents and all is finally revealed. It was late afternoon and Lady Elvira and Lord Charles were sitting in the drawing room. They had been quiet all day. The dinner party of the previous night had not been a success and had broken up embarrassingly early. Lady Elvira had apologized and promised to write notes. Lord Charles had said, never mind, darling, he quite understood, and then they had run out of things to say. They were on their third cup of tea when Barnacle made the announcement. I beg your pardon, Barnacle, said her ladyship. Visitors, did you say? Four urchins, my lady, asking to see you and his lordship. Really? Do you hear that, Charles? There are urchins on our doorstep asking for us. How very curious. Whatever can they want? They wouldn't say, my lady, but I thought you should know that one of them mentioned something about a spoon. Barnacle didn't get any further. Lady Elvira gave a sharp gasp and rose to her feet, all color draining from her cheeks. Charles! she breathed through trembling lips. Oh, Charles, can it be? Now then, darling, don't jump to conclusions, said her husband, going to her side. Show them in, Barnacle. Oh, show them in. Do show them in. Solly, Prudence, Freddy, the prodigy, and Mr. Skippy stood waiting beneath the columns, eyeing the towering front door. I suppose all of this is yours, said Prudence to Solly, staring around at the sweeping gardens. All this land. Think how rich you must be. Hmm, said Solly. He stared up at the house, then back at the grounds. What would it be like? What would it be like living here? He simply couldn't imagine. I can just see you skipping around the place in your purple pantaloons, learning to play piano, having dancing lessons, posing for your portrait. Stop teasing him, said the prodigy. You's just jealous. No, I'm not. Writers are creative people. We don't care about being rich. Larrikins, said Freddy dreamily. I'd like it, that's for sure. It's very grand, I'll say that, said Solly, swallowing nervously. Looking at the state of us, I'll be amazed if they let us in. Their wild appearance hadn't cer certainly hadn't improved. A ten-mile ride in a wagon full of bags of mulch is guaranteed to add a few more travel stains, not to mention smells. Will they give us sweeties, do you think? Your new parents? asked the prodigy. She, of course, had ridden up front singing to the wagoner, who had been only too pleased 
to take a huge detour and drop his enchanting little companion directly outside the gates. He had been less pleased when he found out that he had unknowingly given a lift to three less enchanting others, especially the rude girl with the sharp nose, but by then it was too late. Don't you ever think about anything else? scolded Prudence. Yes, I think about how horrible you are sometimes, and Mr. Skippy thinks so too. Solly sighed. Another argument was developing. He could have done without it. He was feeling nervous enough already. He fingered the spoon deep in his pocket. Just think, he was about to meet his real parents. Shh, hissed Freddy. Here comes the old geezer again. The ancient butler appeared in the doorway and beckoned. Silently, they followed him in. One look at the grand hall was enough to subdue them still further. High ceilings, wood-paneled walls, polished boards, deep rugs of darkest crimson, oil paintings, marble statues, gold leaf. It was more than they could take in. The butler signaled for them to follow him down a long passageway. In silence, they complied. He paused at a door and knocked. Come in, called a tremulous female voice. The door opened and in they trooped. The drawing room was light, spacious, and elegant, just as Solly knew it would be. But he wasn't really interested in the decor. His eyes were drawn like magnets to the two people who stood before the mantelpiece, which framed a blazing fire. A gracious lady in a gray gown and a tall gentleman with a splendid mustache, just like in his dreams. Nobody said a word. This was Solly's big moment. He removed his cap, stepped forward, and gave a little bow. Self-consciously, he cleared his throat. <clears throat> he had practiced his little speech many times in his head, but for some reason he was finding it hard to deliver. <clears throat> Lord and Lady Parquet Florin, I presume... Look, uh, I'm sorry to bother you, but it's rather important. You might want to sit down because this will come as a shock. You see, I rather think I'm your missing... But he was interrupted. Our boy, cried the lady, her voice breaking with emotion. Oh, Charles, it is. It's him. That little face, those ears, those eyes, that smile. I'd know him anywhere. My baby! She ran forward, arms outstretched. Solly prepared himself for the inevitable embrace, which never came. Instead, she ran straight past him, and with a loud cry of maternal joy, gathered Freddy to her bosom. What? said Solly. She's made a mistake, said Prudence. Go on, say something. Um, excuse me, said Solly, trying to make himself heard above Lady Elvira's hysterical weeping. Freddie was still clutched tight in her arms, looking bewildered. His tears were making channels, sorry, her tears were making channels in his dirty neck. To make things even more confused, Lord Charles was now getting in on the act and was attempting to wrap his arms around both of them. Leave them, lad announced Barnacle, blowing his nose, shaking his old head, grinning and wiping away tears all at the same time. This is a reunion. Leave them to their joy. Oh, happy day. But they've got the wrong son, explained Solly, fumbling deep in his pocket where his spoon had lodged itself in a hole or something. It's not him, it's me. Show him the spoon, said Prudence impatiently. I'm trying, I'm trying, it's stuck or something. Oh, Rothesy, Rothesy, my little Rothesy, how mother has missed you these last ten years, blubbered Lady Elvira, smothering Freddy with kisses. Who's Rothesy? asked the prodigy, picking a leaf from the nearest potted plant and feeding it to Mr. Skippy. How should I know? snapped Solly, still trying to extricate the spoon. He turned to the butler. Who's Rothsey? 
young Master Rothesy, who was stolen from his cot ten years back, explained Barnacle. Ah, twas a sad, sad day. My lord and lady have been seeking him ever since, and here he is, safe and sound. But he can't be called Rothesy, said Prudence. That doesn't begin with a V. What's his middle name? Buckland, little Lord Rothesy Buckland Parquet Flooring, snatched from his bed on the one day that all the doors were open because we were having the chimneys cleaned. But he had a silver spoon in his mouth, right? Oh, yes. Well, right then, cried Solly. So what's this then, if it isn't a silver spoon? Finally, with a ripping noise, the spoon came out. Triumphantly, Solly thrust it beneath Barnacle's nose. Well, yes, agreed Barnacle. It's a spoon, but it's not little Lord Rothesy's. That says V-I-P. His said R-B-P-F. Rothsey Buckland Parquet Flooring. Just then, Lady Elvira gave a cry. Look, Charles, he has a mole under his ear. He had that when he was a baby. So, muttered the prodigy, I got a wabbit under my blanket. Dumbfounded, Solly stared over at the joyful reunion scene, then down at the spoon in his hand. The wrong spoon. He simply couldn't believe it. After everything he had been through, how utterly, utterly awful. So why then was he suddenly feeling this overwhelming sense of relief? Chapter 27, A Satisfyingly Happy Ending, in which loose ends are tied up for the benefit of the intelligent reader who likes things cut and dried. It wasn't exactly the wrong spoon, mused Prudence. I mean, it was the spoon you set out to get in the first place. All right, so it didn't match the parents then. It was several months later. Solly and Prudence were sitting on the log under Prudence's tree, sharing a sandwich. Spring was in the air. Solly was on his way back from collecting old Mother Rust's summer unmentionables. Quite a bit of time had passed since the business with a spoon, as they now referred to it. Christmas had come and gone, and life was settling back into a routine. Solly was back delivering washing, and Prudence was back up her tree re rewriting little Sir Thumbigan. Mind you, Christmas had been a good one, reflected Solly. There had been a turkey on the table and plum pudding. The cat and the pig had had a field day. The reward money had seen to that. Do you care? asked Prudence. That Freddy turned out to be the missing son and not you? No, not really. I've already got one set of wrong parents. I don't need another. The parquet floorings didn't even offer to adopt you. I thought that was a bit mean. You're better off with the scrubbinses in some ways. Hmm, said Solly. He thought back to the homecoming. Ma and Pa had been thrilled to see him, and so had the pig. The cat had seemed indifferent. Ma had given him a hug, glanced at his VIP spoon, dumped a load of pottage in his bowl, then sent him out to get water and chop logs before putting him to work folding sheets all night. Pa had celebrated by going to the tavern for a pint. They didn't even seem that interested in his adventures. They were pleased to have you back, weren't they? said Prudence. Oh, yes, they were desperate to have me back. You should have seen the state of the place. The pig had moved in, and Ma was days behind with the wash. I was back at work five minutes after walking through the door. <laughs> That's nothing, said Prudence. I had about two minutes where they all said they missed me. Then Ma gave me a slap for frightening her, and made me wash all the little one's ears. <laughs> That's parents for you, agreed Solly. They take us for granted. They both sat reflecting on this. <sighs> but for all that, said Prudence, for all that, I don't envy Freddy. They caught each other's eye. Those pantaloons, 
said Prudence, and they both gave a giggle. Lord Charles and Lady Elvira had been very grateful for the safe return of their long-lost son. They clearly doted on Freddy, who indeed scrubbed up very well, and fell into his new role as returned missing heir in no time. He even stopped saying larrikins. He was clearly born to the role. The reward money was nice, though, said Prudence, and the tea, and the coach ride home. It was nice to return in style. The parquet floorings had indeed been good hosts. They had insisted on Rothesey's little friends having tea, cake, full access to the bathroom, and a substantial reward. They offered to let them stay for a few days, but Solly, Prudence, and the prodigy had politely declined. Freddie seemed very happy wearing pantaloons, and Solly was happy to leave him to it. They felt a bit awkward hanging around in the grand house while Freddie, Rothesey, and his new mother and father got to know each other. Besides, Prudence wanted to get on with her writing, and the prodigy wanted to go somewhere and buy sweets, then return to the circus and show Mr. Skippy off. Lord Charles and Lady Elvira had paid for a coach to take them all the way home. Stopping off at the circus had taken a while. The second the prodigy was back in the bosom of her family, she reverted to her former ways. She tossed her hair and grandly demanded things. She refused to share the sweets. She sulked and flounced. She showed off Mr. Skippy's trick of just sitting and announced that she was going to work him into her act. When Signor Mandolini said she couldn't, she screamed and threw a temper tantrum. Solly and Prudence were disgusted with her. They hung around trying to say goodbye, but the prodigy wasn't interested. She was far too busy screaming, so they gave up. They claimed their five pounds reward from Signor Mandolini, who rolled his eyes to heaven, sighed, and paid up. Then they climbed back in the coach and left the prodigy to rave on. Next, it was on to Boring Village, where Prudence was mobbed by her large, overexcited family. Prudence had had a good Christmas, too. Lord Charles had used his influence to get her dad released from prison. There had been rabbit stew for dinner and new bonnets for all her sisters. Her little brother, Cleanliness, got three wooden soldiers, all of which he ate. Prudence treated herself to a new composition book. She still used the old pencil, though, Solly noticed. They had both been so busy since then that they'd only met a couple of times. Whenever they did, they had plenty to talk about. Lady Elvira was an excellent correspondent. Perfumed letters in her own hair and her own fair hand arrived regularly, keeping them up to date on developments. Solly couldn't read his, of course. He only knew three letters, V, I, and P. Prudence had promised to teach him the rest sometime, but it hadn't happened yet. He kept the correspondence in a tin box, along with his poor old cloth, which was fit for nothing now. It didn't really matter that he couldn't read them. Prudence told him all the important things. Nanny and the boys had been arrested. So had Jonas Scurvy. Mrs. Spindletrap had been fired from her position, and a nice, kindly old lady called Mrs. Smiling had taken over Thrift House, which was now called Happy Home. The place now boasted fires in every room, and the orphans got chicken and apples and were allowed to play instead of work, so that was something. At Freddy's request, Plute had been promoted to head boy. What I still don't understand is, what happened to Freddy's spoon, mused Solly, the one with RBPF on it? Who knows, Prudence shrugged. Jonas Scurvy sold it, probably, soon after he stole the baby, if he had any sense. That's another thing. Why steal a rich baby in the first place, if all you're going to do with it is shove it up chimneys for the next ten years? Perhaps he thought he'd hold it for ransom and then decided against it. But why didn't the parquet floorings put two and two together, seeing as Freddy went missing on the very day they had their chimneys cleaned? Why rush about searching for a spoon for ten years when all they had to do was go to town and sink at, seek out Jonas Scurvy? It doesn't make sense. 
What does it matter? said Prudence. A lot of things don't make sense. Why do you care? I don't know. It's just nice to have all the ends tied up. That only happens in stories. Real life's not so neat. The plots are full of holes. The imperfect thing is, you got your spoon. What do you do with it, by the way? I use it to eat with. What do you think? Right, so things have changed for the better. Hmm, yes, I suppose they have. A bit. Well, they had. Even after buying Ma a new ironing machine and Pa a large tin of, black, of back cream, there was still a bit of reward money left, so he would be able to buy himself a new pair of boots, and people treated him with a bit more respect now that he was a man of the world who had been to town. And there was meat on the table from time to time, and fresh bread. Of course, it was only a matter of time before they were back to pottage again, but at least he now had a spoon to eat it with. Prudence stood up, brushing crumbs from her lap. Gotta get back to work, she said, eyeing her tree. Her new composition book was up there, stuffed into the hole. Right, said Sully. How's it going, by the way? The book. All right, said Prudence. Losing an entire novel before it even reached the publishers hadn't put her off, it seemed. Whenever he came across her, she was scribbling. Nobody seemed to have insisted she go back to school, either. In fact, her dad seemed rather proud of the fact that he had a brainy daughter, who made money and had aristocratic friends who got him out of jail, although it didn't stop him from getting back to poaching. "'Well, tell me, then.' Solly insisted. Well, it's different. I'm trying a different approach. Oh, how's Bugless getting on? There is no Bugless. I've cut him out. What? Solly was shocked. You dumped him? Just like that? Yes, he was rubbish, actually. I see that now. I'm working on a new central character. He'll be more real. How do you mean more real? Well, I mean a bit more like you, obviously. Prudence spoke briskly, but the end of her nose went a bit red. Me? Solly was astounded. Me? Really? How? I don't know. Does it matter? Well, yes. Yes, it does. How is he more like me? Shorter? Straight hair or something? No, not like that. I mean, more sympathetic, kind. I'll give him good manners, like you. You mean he'll be a weakling. That's what you mean, isn't it? No, I don't. I mean, nice. Somebody the reader will like. You're nice. Am I? How odd. He hadn't thought he was. Yes, you are. You know, ever since we met... You've never once mentioned my nose. That's because I forgot about it. Exactly. You see, that's nice. They were both getting a bit pink and flustered now. It was quite a strain being pleasant to each other. Shouldn't you be delivering the wash? Suggested Prudence. Yes, yes, I should. He stood and packed up the bag. Did you get the circus tickets, by the way? Yep, all eleven of them arrived this morning. I'm looking forward to it, aren't you? said Solly. Well, he was. Just imagine. Free tickets. Compliments of Signor Mandolini. A proper family outing to a real circus. Ma and Pa were having a rare night off. A proper carriage was coming to collect them at nightfall and drive them in style to the field where Mandolini's marvelous extravaganza was all ready and waiting. The parquet floorings would be there with Freddie, so it was going to be a proper reunion with a big supper after the show. It'll be nice to see Freddie, but if Rosabella sings, I'm walking out. I expect you to do the same. I will, promised Solly. Although absence had made his heart grow fonder, he was looking forward to seeing the prodigy and even Mr. Skippy. He had a feeling that Prudence was, too. "'I'm off, then,' he said. "'Good,' said Prudence. "'See you later.' It was clear she wanted to get rid of him. 
Solly gave a little sigh and hoisted his big bag onto his shoulder. It was a long walk home. What's the sigh for? said Prudence. She was already back on the tree, book and pencil at the ready. Nothing, it's just... Well, nothing's changed much, has it? All that effort and here I am, back delivering washing. So, you've still got a mysterious past and a whole different life out there somewhere. Another set of parents, Lord and Lady Pucksnoot or something, seeking their dear little Verdigris Igor, who got mislaid in a washing basket. Just think, a whole new adventure lies before you. Hmm, said Solly. He thought back to the last one. He remembered the endless walking, the painful boots, the relentless rain, the miserable barn, the frozen lips, the stifling nursery, the embarrassing sailor suit, the flight across the rooftops, the blizzard, the orphanage, the mix-up with the spoon, the, well, all of it. Actually, I think perhaps I'll leave that for another time. But Prudence had stopped listening. So, Solly set off for home. There was a spring in his step, and he found himself whistling. All the way back, he thought about the circus. That was enough excitement for now. And maybe the prodigy would teach Mr. Skippy to jump through a flaming hoop. Okay, guys, well, that's the end of Solomon Snow and the Silver Spoon. But the good news is, is that this is a series. So you can grab the next book in the series. I'm going to read to you the little note that's left in the back of the book from the author. It says, Dear Intelligent Reader, I congratulate you on reaching the final page of this thoroughly riveting tale, though please note that this is not the end of Solomon Snow's story. Soon you will be able to read all about his daring investigative exploits in Solomon Snow and the Stolen Jewel. Prepare to wonder as Solly solves baffling clues to track down an exotic treasure. Yes, it's cursed. Tremble at the sinister surprises awaiting him at the circus. And cheer as he outwits a dastardly criminal mastermind. Indeed, some very strange happenings await our hero, along with his trusted companions, Bossy Prudence, the awful prodigy, and, of course, Mr. Skippy. Come along on their next adventure, if you dare. Yours in bejeweled mystery, Kay Umansky. Okay, guys, pick up the next book, Solomon Snow and the Stolen Jewel. Have a great summer. Love and miss you.